the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from GolfBet. He is Justin Ray from the 21st Group. Thanks, as always, for listening, downloading, subscribing, and rating us. Hmm, I wonder if we have anything to talk about here in the world of golf. Oh, my goodness, how long is this pod? Anyway, uh, Jay Ray, we've got, of course, uh, what was a great finish in the BMW Championship with Patrick Cantley. Outlasting is the only word, really, to use to describe uh, how he defeated Bryson DeChambeau in a playoff yesterday, which was fantastic. We're going to get to that in just a second. Of course, we're going to talk Tour Championship, FedEx Cup, the format, the odds, who we like this week, maybe even get into a little Ryder Cup talk with six picks now formally on the team for the U.S. and six more coming very, very soon, including a few that we probably can probably guess at already. So, we got so much to get into. Uh, hi, how are you? How busy have you been? I'm, I'm good, buddy. I mean, I didn't I didn't know if golf was ever going to end yesterday. And part of me, part of me was like ready for it too. But the larger part of me was just enjoying what I was watching because to just say that those two guys went six holes, six extra holes in a playoff, that description alone, you're like, wow, it must have been pretty exciting. But it didn't do it justice, right? The, the I mean, Bryson rinsing it with his drive after he hadn't missed a fairway in two hours. And then sticking it to two feet and saving par to move on. I mean, that was maybe the most impressive thing. Like beyond, we're going to talk more about it. But like Patrick, it literally took Patrick Cantley had the best strokes game putting week since they started tracking it. Yeah, that's what that's what it took to beat Bryson DeChambeau in seventy eight holes. I mean, just an unbelievable performance by both of those guys. Scoring was crazy. I'm okay with a little bit of going low in the playoffs. That was a bit much. I think it was a little bit out of the tour's control in terms of how soft the course was. And then, you know, scoring just kind of ran away uh, and hid. So uh, another crazy note, every single player in the field finished under par. That had never happened in a FedEx Cup playoff event. The only time we ever usually see that is at Kapalua when there's between 30 and 40 players. So anyway, just that was a just an emptying of a lot of thoughts there, spraying at once to start out. But it's reflective of just how exciting this time of year is and how great yesterday was. Yeah, that notebook of yours was filling up in a hurry. There were a lot of statistical anomalies coming out of the BMW championship. And you're right, I I went through it. And I mean, we all watched on on 16. Of course, Bryson makes birdie and uh, and Patrick makes a nine footer just to save par. He could very easily miss that and say two shot swing instead of a one shot swing. 17, I mean, probably should have been a two shot swing. It was a zero shot swing. And then Bryson was closer on 18. Bryson had 15 feet. Cantley had 19 feet. Cantley makes Bryson misses uh, without too many things breaking and bending a different way. Like it pretty easily could have been a Bryson four or five shot victory by the time those three holes were over. Kind of what it looked like, as you said, when uh, Cantley hit the shot in the water at 17 in regulation. I have to say in regulation because they went back and played 17 <laughs> a couple more times. So a few more times. Um, just unbelievably exciting great day for the sport i mean just to see those two guys go back and forth um tournament of the year for you yeah i mean look i i can't think back beyond 24 hours ago anyway i can't (laughs) remember what i had for for lunch two days ago so i yeah sure tournament of the year i don't what do i remember this 
Uh, there have been 50 events this season. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, like I said a few weeks ago, 50 weeks isn't a season. That's just existing. Like That's just life. That's not a, that's I, not a season. I, but, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, obviously Phil winning at the PGA is probably what we're going to look back on years from now. But in terms of just drama, back and forth, excitement, narrative, guys just going blow for blow, great shots being hit. It's been a long time since I can remember a finish like that on the PGA Tour. Quite honestly, I didn't think we are going to see anything better than what we saw at the BMW last year at a – completely different golf course, completely different scoring conditions, completely different tournament. And yet John Rahm finishing at four under with Dustin Johnson, beating him in a playoff. We're like, Oh my goodness. That was the best thing. Yeah. Uh, 2021 BMW. Hold my beer. Hold my crab cakes. How about that? I mean, (laughs) it's unbelievable. I mean, we had, like you said, one number one versus number two in a playoff on the PGA tour last year at the BMW between Rahm and DJ that hadn't happened since 1995 when Greg Norman and Nick Price faced off the World Series of Golf. And they did it one better a year later, even though the scoring was, like you said, completely different. It was something like in relation to par of the field was 1,200 shots better than last year, something absolutely ridiculous. But, um, of course, the setup completely different. Firm and fast last year, super soft this year, and the guys just picked it apart, just just tore the place up. But um, I don't think you can ask for a more exciting conclusion. Everything that Cantley just making it from all over the park – I think it was eight putts over 20 feet he made for the week, which is just ridiculous. Um, just an awesome, awesome scene out there. And shout out to the crowds, man. The crowds were just, they were loud. They were boisterous. Oh, the crowds were shouting out. Don't worry. Times. You don't have What's to that? shout them out. They were shouting out themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was going to say maybe too boisterous at times, but it was just good to have that whole environment there. It was, sure. was, was a lot of fun for the most part, as, as we said. You know, maybe, maybe a little too much at times uh, getting on Bryson, but it was awesome. Golf. I want to get to our five questions, but first something that you've mentioned. So here's a pre-question for the five questions. Uh, I heard a lot about how, you know, this course is way too easy. These guys need to be playing a harder golf course. I I don't disagree with that necessarily. I'm I'm not sure what else you're going to do. You want to bring golf to the Baltimore area. Hasn't been there in a long time. Hey, let's go to Caves Valley. Seems like a cool course. 7,500 yards. Yeah. Big ballpark that can host a PGA tour event. I, I mean, they can call two of the par fives par fours and it's a, par 70 instead of a par 72 and the winning score is 20 instead of 28. And we go, Oh, oh no, it was about average. And so I, I, I think we get too hung up on par. And I guess my question to you is at what point can we separate what par is the construct of par from just basically like a statistical analysis of like, Hey, by the stroke average, this played really, really easy. And so how, how do you kind of separate the two from, uh, it's easy in relation to par or it's easy in relation to just the scoring average is really low. Yeah. I think there's a human nature to the knee jerk reaction to seeing 27 under par. And, and you make a great point about how if they just change two of the par fives to par fours, it's minus 20 and nobody's sure. really saying anything. Right. So, I mean, I think that, look, they played golf for hundreds of years before par was even a thing, you know, many of the first opens and, and U S opens par wasn't something they kept track of. In reality, it's something that's really just for the TV audience, to be perfectly honest with you, because at the end of the day, it's just the fewest amount of strokes win the tournament. So I think we need to divorce ourselves a little bit from that idea. That being said, I know there was a lot of hand-wringing about it, about the low scores. I don't mind the occasional, you know, Texas Tech versus Oklahoma State 54-50 to game. You know, I don't mind that every once in a while now. You know, everyone loved that Monday night football game a few seasons ago between the Chiefs and the Rams when they put up like 118 points combined. I don't want it every week, right? But 
and maybe we'll have some tougher conditions at the tour championship. But, you know, look, it's the Northeast. It's August. It's wet. If it's soft, guys are going to go low. It's what happens. You want to have a golf tournament in August in Baltimore. I'm sorry. This is what's going to happen because just the nature of weather and humidity and how soft the course is going to play. So it's part of it. If you want to have that aspect of it, I mean, I think aside from putting a golf tournament in the Pacific Northwest or somewhere on the West coast at this time of year for the playoffs, I don't know. You don't really have a choice. I say it all the time that look, if 12 under was the ideal winning score for a golf tournament and we wanted every score to be 12 under to win a tournament, we wouldn't watch 50 weeks in a season because you wouldn't have to, because they'd all look the same. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, you asked me a minute ago, was this the best tournament of the year? I'm like, well, can't remember the first 48 of them. So yeah, sure. I guess so. (laughs) If they were all even more similar than they are right now, uh, we wouldn't remember anything about them. So yeah, I, I have no problem with differentiating. Look, four under one last year at a uh, BMW in a different, part of the country and 28 under one, this one, and it's fine. Uh, it's just a score. Yeah. I think as you've said before, if they just took two of the par fives, made them par fours and 19 under par got into a playoff instead of 27, because yeah. you just reduced the relation to par by eight shots, then nobody really passed an eye. I would say though, that this week, because it was soft, you look into some more detailed statistics like average proximity to the hole. It was about seven to 9% closer than the PGA tour average. That doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not a number we're overly familiar with seeing on golf broadcasts or talked about, but like 7 to 9% when you do that proximity-wise, that adds up to a lot of birdies. That means the birdie or better percentage rate uh, of made putts by the field went up significantly. I think it was like 4 to 6% at some point, and then that leads to your, to your lower scores. So, yeah, I know I think there's a human nature, a knee-jerk reaction to seeing some super low score in relation to par and saying, oh, this is so easy, like – all these guys are finishing 20 under. So I thought this was crazy. Sergio Garcia finished a PGA tour event 20 under par for the first time in his career. He had never done that before, which I thought was wild. He's been playing, he's been watching him play golf forever. You'd think that at some point he would have done it at Kapalua or, you know, someplace where he went out and had a big win. But um, look, it's, it's, a, it's a human reaction as a sports fan. Like, Oh, this is too easy. But I think there's some merit to that. If they had just played it as a par 70, now it would have been a really long par 70, admittedly. But if they had just said it was a par 70, we're probably not even having a conversation. You know, it's just a regular, you know, FedEx Cup playoff event and 19 unders in the playoff. And we're talking about the showdown coming down the stretch even more explosively right. and not how easy it was. The South Course at Torrey Pines plays as a par 72 for the Farmers Insurance Open. It was longer for the U.S. Open. It was par 71. Riddle me that. All right. I'm going to get to the five questions, and these are all – in relation to what we watched this weekend because it was such good theater that I wanted to get into these. uh... Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. We'll get to Bryce in a second. Let's give Cantley his due. Uh, You've mentioned the stat a couple times already. Plus uh, 14.6 strokes gain putting. Uh, for the event, that's the most of the strokes gained era. You mentioned Bryson being up there as far as strokes gained driving. Where does Cantley's performance rank amongst the greatest single tournament, single stat performances we've ever seen? I ask you as the stats guru, knowing that you're going to have all this off the top of your head and say, oh, well, this is right there with the around the green performance by Sebastian Munoz at the 2017 <laughs> Viking Classic. 
I, I, I'm wondering what you can come up with, and I know I'm putting you on the spot. You are putting me on the spot. The first, instinctually, the first thing that I think of is you look at what Tiger did at Pebble Beach in 2000. And we obviously mm. didn't have the shot link numbers, but some of his iron statistics from that week in the traditional sense in terms of greens and regulation and you know just how unbelievable he was from an approach play perspective – um, if we had strokes gained approach and strokes gained putting for the 2000 U.S. Open, which Tiger won by 15 shots, uh, we would not be talking about any of these records because it's just so <laughs> obscenely better than anything we've seen. Um, just going back to, I mean, there's some some that stick out in my mind. Dustin Johnson drove the ball unbelievable at Maui a couple of years ago. I think that, you know, the famous quote, and I was with Brandel Chambly on Golf Central when he said it, he said it was the tee shot that almost went for a hole in one on a par four and Brandon right, called right. it like the most impressive drive or best drive ever. Hit. He said it was the best shot in golf history. Justin. Something hype. It was, it was, it was out there. It was an aggressive yeah. opinion. <laughs> right, the man has a right to have it. He gets paid to have those opinions and go out on those limbs and catch the flack for it. But his driving that week was unbelievable. I think he gained like almost nine full strokes on the field uh, with the driver, which is, I think it's the most over the last six, seven years in any one single event on the PGA tour. That's high up there. Um, a more simple stat, when JT Postum won at the Wyndham Championship without making a bogey, he was the first guy to do that on the PGA Tour, go bogey-free and win since Lee Torino in New Orleans in the mid-'70s. Good one. Um, that, that sticks out to me. It's up there, man. I mean, I was trying to find ways to, to kind of encapsulate how unbelievable his putting was. And you know, the crazy thing is he set that record, and he lost strokes to the field in round three putting. So his one, two, and four Jeez. were so ridiculous that he still set the record for most strokes gained putting in a single week. And he lost strokes to the field in the third round, buddy. He wasn't even hot on Saturday. So um, I'd have to do a little bit more digging. That's a great idea for an article, by the way, when it gets cold and there's not enough golf to talk about. So thank you for that. But um, yeah, it was, it was up there. It was one of the more significant statistical performances that we've seen here in recent times. I've got another idea for you. I don't know if this is possible, but you mentioned it. So I'm going to bring it up to you. And I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you do it, but somebody out there who's got the the time you mentioned, there's no strokes gain data going back to, and especially 2000 at Pebble beach for the U S open would be like the one that we'd really want to see. Can somebody call the data somehow and like find out the strokes gain for an event that was before strokes gained. You can roughly try to approximate it. Um, the problem is you're not going to have shot level data from every player in the field. Um, I've seen some gambling type sleuths on the internet, try to come up with some LPGA strokes game and they get ballparkish. You know, you see it during the masters. Sometimes <laughs> they get scared. They're kind of close, but you know, it's, it's look, it's, it's an impossible thing to do because you just don't have um, a proper baseline sense. and like all the different, I won't nerd out too much on this, but um, if you had, Let's say at the Masters, you had access to video of every shot and you were like a data scientist type, you could probably figure it out. Yes. Okay. But you need every shot that the field hits or else. Yeah, that's, really that's a fair point. Ball. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. Well, Tiger, I'm, I'm just going with plus 9.5 driving plus 3.7. <laughs> that's probably wrong. He was probably... Flip those around. 3.7 driving, nine something approach. Yeah, the approach is just, you know, the sideways eight, the infinite symbol. Yeah. That's what his strokes gained approach was. Yeah. Probably. Was right. that 97 at the Masters, too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question two uh, What is Patrick Cantley's long term ceiling? 
That's a great question. I thought a lot about this last night after seeing what he put together. He is so stoic. It's kind of hard to believe that he hasn't flashed more major championships yet. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he overcame a really serious back injury. Um, he, it was a spinal fracture. It sidelined him for several years. I can, <laughs> I'm not a professional athlete, but I fractured my spine a few years ago. I can tell you how awful it is and how much work it is to get back to. It's unbelievable to me to think that that was what his injury was, and he's able to be one of the top golfers in the world at this point. Um, I could see him winning two majors. I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, he basically lost three years of his 20s, and this is a – I mean, he was a wonderkind. Like, he was a – he shot 60 as an amateur at the Travelers Championship. Like, this kid was on a rocket ship to superstardom early on in his career, and I think he's just finally, the last couple of years, you know, putting it all together health-wise and becoming a more prolific winner as a pro. Um, I'd be shocked if he didn't get at least one major. I could see him winning a couple majors, and I think he's going to be on a lot of Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams. I tend to agree with you there. The one drawback that I thought from Cantley is that he is so introverted. He's so insular that I thought that his personality might even subconsciously hold him back from someday being number one in the world. And I remember spending time with Martin Keimer. This is what, 10, 12, 13 years ago when he was number one in the world. And you think, oh, oh now he's playing really well. He became number one in the world. What's the big deal? That's great for him. And it was that he wanted to get there and he wanted to be the best player in the world. But all of a sudden it went from, Hey, I finished around and four reporters come up to me and ask me how I played to sit down in the media center interview room. And there's a press conference and we're asking you questions on like, you know, what do you think about rolling back the ball? And what do you think about, you know, the length of driver? And what do you think about this issue and that issue? And you have to be a leader. You have to sort of represent the game of golf. And I always thought that Keimer was a guy who was happier being, sixth or seventh in the world where, Hey, I still get into all the majors and I'm still a really good golfer and I still make lots of money, but I don't have that spotlight on me. And I I had thought for years that Cantlay was a similar type of personality and that he wouldn't necessarily want to have that spotlight on him. If he was number one, I now think that watching him, especially yesterday and watching how he dealt with uh, the media interviews, not just yesterday, but over the last few years, I I think he's ready for that. I do think the one thing that's going to hold him back from being number one in the world is John Rom? I just think John Rom's so good that I don't know that anyone is upending uh, the Spaniard over the next few years. I, I just think he's going to stay in that position for a long time. But I think Patrick Cantley's got the tools to be the number two player in the world for some uh, modicum of time, whether it's an extended period period or not. And I, I do think that he can be a multi major champion. Yeah, I'd buy that completely. I like the discussion about. I thought of me first thing I thought of when you said personality. There was that moment he got caught on microphone in Hawaii a couple of years ago. Yeah. When I'm going to, you may have to edit me out, Matt, producer, but he, he was like, these pampered fucks <laughs> talking about somebody in front of him. <laughs> and it just made, it was like a little brief insight into this quiet, you know, very, you know, even keeled, polite guy. There's a little grittiness underneath him. And I don't know, maybe, look, they downplayed it after the round, but when Bryson told him, hey, can you stop walking? I mean, I don't know. It sounds like narrative and kind of nonsense, but there's a little bit of quiet warrior, you know, feistiness under there for Patrick. I can tell you this much too. Uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Xander Shoffley. So all the guys that grew up in that same, uh, that same class or right around that same class, they all like Patrick Cantley a lot. They all really enjoy hanging out with him and being around him. That sort of 
like at some point that's good enough for me. That's like if, you know, one of your buddies brings another buddy along to, you know, go watch a game with you. And all of a sudden, you know, like, well, if this guy vouches for him, I'm okay with that. And I kind of feel like if those guys vouch for Patrick Cantley, like, yeah, I'm okay with it. You know, like, yep. I think that makes sense. All right. Question three, you started to mention it there on 14 yesterday. <laughs> Bryson was about to hit. Cantley was walking. Bryson told Cantley, stop walking. Justin, my question, am I missing something here? Is this like some sort of big deal? I thought it was, it added some fun, interesting context in a sport where we don't get, I know, look, we've had the Brooks Bryson back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some, some Patrick Reed here and there, but for the most part, we don't have, there's no shit talking in golf, man. There's no, there's no trash talking. This isn't, you know, the NBA or, or the NFL. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I thought it added a little interesting subplot that kind of gave Sunday a little bit of juice. And then it hit the accelerator and we don't need to think about it anymore because of the quality of golf we saw those two guys play back and forth. I don't think it necessarily was a big deal, but just as a fan, it was amusing and it was did add a little bit of spice. Okay. I, I still, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get that. I, I played yesterday with a few buddies. One of the guys like, He's standing the fairway. One of the other guys like driving the cart across the fairway. He said, whoa, hold up. I'm about to hit. And then he hit. And then the guy in the cart drove past. They're still friends. They talked afterwards. It was like, man, you were driving the cart. I was about (laughs) to hit. And then I told you to stop. So, man, we're going to throw down after. Who cares? I don't know what happens. First of all, Patrick Patrick Cantlay and Bryson are playing for $1.7 million, not like an $8 NASA or whatever's going on at at uh, easy park easy (laughs) we're going at least 1.5 milli uh in our nassau and i'll say second the stop walking thing that wasn't nearly as interesting to me as the ice cold quasi handshake at 18 that was frigid and that that gave it a little little bit of juice right there that made it a little bit more exciting not that we needed it with the quality of golf we saw Okay, uh, that leads me right into question number four. You're segueing so well, Jay Ray. Uh, there's been some suggestions after yesterday. I'm not sure how you could suggest this, really, but uh, that Cantley and Bryson could be Ryder Cup partners and they could go play together. I don't see that one. If not, who is your partner for Cantley now that he's be, uh, become uh, the sixth player to qualify for the team? And who's your partner for Bryson? I think that if they paired... And look, this is not, this is less of the analytics speak and more of the golf fan speak for me. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Jordan Spieth and Patrick Cantley on the same team. Mm. The way Jordan has hit his irons this year, the flair he's had in big moments over the course of his career, his success in the Ryder Cup, Patrick Reed, we don't know if he's going to be there or not. There was, of course, that weird kind of falling out type thing that happened in Paris. I think that if it was, if Cantley and Spieth could group together, you get that putter, those two putters in that situation. Cantley doesn't have any weaknesses. Speed being such a great iron player this year, I think that will be really interesting. I'm going to resist saying Bryson and Brooks together just because that would be total utter chaos. Oh my God. What? You said Bryson and Brooks are playing together. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Bryson's an interesting one. I mean, you know, look, I think you could put Webb Simpson with anybody. I don't know if he'll necessarily be on the Ryder Cup team. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanted to pair Bryson with another really long player, I think. Look, Tony Finau can probably play with anybody. Mm-hmm. I think if you go whistling straights, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll go back. I said it was going to be fan and less analytics. But in 2015, there was no course on the PGA Tour where distance benefited players more than at whistling straights. 
you go and you group Tony Finau with Bryson DeChambeau, have them an alternate shot. I think you get a really potent, powerful one-two there that could go out and get you a point or two. By the way, Collins and I had Finau and Jason Kokrak on our SiriusXM radio show today, and I asked them the question, just theoretically, you guys go out and play a best ball match. Uh, how many birdies do you think you make together? And they started laughing, and Kokrak goes, it'd be more than half of them, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah I'd buy that. Pretty yeah, good especially, especially on that golf course. I mean, if I'm, if I'm filling out the back end of that roster for the American team, I'm looking at course traits, things that are going to be valuable at whistling straights. Distance is going to be very important. And I probably, I'm, Jason Kokrak's not being talked about enough, I don't think. Um, but he's being considered, and I think you, know, you give a little more, little more consideration to Sam Burns, too. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Captain Stricker, that's coming from the guy who usually helps out the European team, and he's giving you this free advice right here. I mean, that's based on stats and analytics. We should probably listen to him. Or am I doing the whole reverse psychology thing, <laughs> thinking he'll hear it? Who knows? Traitor. So I don't have a flag. I have a checkbook, Jason, as I've said before. <laughs> I know. You often say that. <laughs> uh, I am, by the way, uh, I would love to, I'm on the record saying I would love to see uh, Colin Morikawa and Xander Shoffley playing together. I think they would just kind of, two cool California dudes just like playing off each other. That said, if they don't, Xander and Cantley have played well together in the past and they seem to get along pretty well. And I think Bryson and Colin Morikawa in a four balls match. I want no part of Bryson in alternate shot. I just don't think like him, him trying to hit the ball 380 yards in alternate shot. That just doesn't do any good. Like I, I keep him in four point. balls, let him, let him just go make birdies. But uh, think about Colin playing sort of the steady influence to Bryson just going to smash it all over the place. Colin also is this old soul, kind of a gentle personality. I, I, I could see Stricker or whoever else associated with the team going up to Colin Morkow and saying, hey, we want you to play with Bryce. And I'm going, okay, cool. Sounds good. Like, I'll make By the work. way, if you want the thing you talked about earlier with a player moving to number one and being kind of the face of the game, you want a guy who hasn't got to number one yet who could do that? Colin Morkow is that guy. Sure. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that over the next few years, you're looking at like a Rom Morikawa, Cantley, JT, and I even throw Spieth up there as well. But that's sort of where you kind of start that list of like, uh, that's who's going to make up uh, that top group. All right, question number five. Uh, my former colleague, Kevin Van Valkenberg of ESPN, detailed a post-round scene in a really good column from Sunday during which a fan yelled Brooksy at Bryson. I, I get it. A lot of fans were yelling Brooksy at Bryson, but this one yelled it like as he was walking off the 18th green, as he was going through the tunnel, going up towards the clubhouse, uh, yelled Brooksy from a few feet away. Bryson wheeled around. There was a confrontation that almost he thought might've turned physical if there wasn't some intervening there. We've been asking this question for years, but what are we going to do about boorish behavior and people yelling things on the golf course to golfers. What can we do about it? What should we do about it? Do we care about it? Should we just let it go? I don't have an answer for you, man. I yeah. mean, post pandemic, when folks started going back into stadiums and you started to see like NBA players getting popcorn dumped on them and people are, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Astros fan. People are fighting Astros fans everywhere they go. <laughs> probably a little bit of that deserved, but it just speaks to the chaos like in the stands you get angry people in a crazy time that we live in and you throw in 
alcohol and I, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to it. You want a big crowd. You want to have the, the roar and the environment. I mean, some of the best games I've ever been to, I've seen fights in the parking lot afterwards. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have a solution to it. I mean, you want to, you want to grow the game, have huge crowds, make a ton of money, introduce betting into live betting into golf and you get the casual fans involved and there's going to be, you know, some ancillary antics that come along with it. Yeah. I, I do think that, and I said this already, but I think Bryson goes out and plays well at whistling straights and sort of, you know, all of a sudden you're not going to yell Brooksy at him. If you're an American golf fan, you're going to yell like, come on, let's go Bryson. And he plays well. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'll forgive it. Like that, that guy, he did me right now. If Bryson goes out and goes 0-4 at the Ryder Cup and plays terrible golf, he might want to stay away for a while. That that could be really bad for him. So I would uh, I will say that he's probably fortunate that it's on US soil this time and we're not in the heat of this and all this talk going and, and them having to go out and play in Europe. Um the detail about KVV's story, which is awesome. I highly recommend everybody to read it. It's really well written, great stuff. Bryson had just given his hat to a kid. Like he's just, he's doing, I mean, you saw throughout the week, like I get it in terms of people not being a fan of some of the stuff he does and him coming off as kind of odd, but he's dapping people up like during the playoff Mm -hmm. and during coming down the stretch, just gave a kid a hat and some idiot who's eaten 11 cores lights yells at him from point blank range. Hey, Brooksy, like, I don't know. I might have gone run on going after him. I might have decked yeah. the dude, man. I don't know. I, I that's some pretty good self control. I, I ain't been drinking protein shakes for the last three years. Just hit a golf ball a long way. Let me add yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. So I, I made the point. I, I probably didn't word it perfectly when I was uh, tweeting it on Sunday evening. But uh, for all the stuff that Bryson's gone through, I mean, from the the whole Brooks thing to. Uh, the split with his caddy to kind of sending him to the brink of like, I, I got to get out of here to saying his driver sucks, basically burying the, uh, the company that represents him and pays him on a regular basis to the 44 Tory Pines on the to back the 44 Tory Pines saying that it was bad luck to, I mean, there's so much there, there is a new controversy to, to getting COVID then afterwards saying I, I didn't get the vaccine because I'm saving it for people who really need it. And then not talking to the media because they like how he's portrayed after it. There is so much controversy swirling around Bryson. I'm not giving him a free pass. He has brought most of it upon himself. Yes. It, a lot of it is self-inflicted. So this is not like making excuses for Bryson, but the point I want to make is that it's pretty damn remarkable that he has played this well, considering all of this stuff that's just moving around him, this tumultuousness, this, yeah noise that's just inner turmoil that's that's going on with Bryson right now uh, I use the the analogy in my column that I wrote that uh, there are PGA Tour players who could have a hangnail and their in-laws come in for a visit and they're like I'm done I, I missed the cut three weeks in a row just my world was rocked I didn't know how to deal with it I didn't have perfect conditions and exactly what I needed to play my best golf Bryson's like he's like the top 10 controversies on the PGA Tour this year like nine and a half of them are Bryson related. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that, that 44 on the back nine at Torrey Pines this summer, that's like a season ender for some guys. Like to be mm-hmm. in that position to win back-to-back U.S. Opens and just get a terrible eight-hole stretch coming, out, coming down the stretch when he had a chance to win, that can end guys like seasons, couple of years where you're wandering in the wilderness. Like, no, he's still one of the best players in the world. It's a testament to his unbelievable talent. 
I'm not going to name names, but there are dudes on the PGA Tour who go out, make a couple double bogeys, looks like they're not going to make the cut, and they would WD. It happens. Mm-hmm. It happens on the PGA. There are guys who do that. Bryson keeps getting up and keeps keeps walking amongst the you know the crazies. And I know, look, like you said, this isn't a free pass. It's self, some of it's self-inflicted, but there is some resilience there. And, hey, would you be that surprised if you went out on a golf course that rewards – driving acumen like Eastlake does if he went out and won this week. I wouldn't be. Getting back to the screamers too. I, I wrote a piece on this uh, years ago when we were both at Golf Channel and talked about probably two dozen people who admitted screaming at golf tournaments. They were by and large 18 to 34. They were male. They were drinking. And every single one of them said, I did it first of all because my friends thought it was funny. And second of all, because everyone around me seemed to enjoy it. And so for as much as the players can say they don't like it, for as much as we can sit at home and say we don't like it, until people scream, yo, Brooksy, at Bryson at a golf tournament, and until you have 50 people turn around and go, hey, idiot, shut up, it's not going to change. Like, people are going to turn around and go, that's kind of funny. I'm telling you, we can sit here at home and go, it's not funny. I've heard it a million times, but – when you're standing there at the golf course and you're waiting for some guy to hit, and it's been seven minutes since you've seen anything. And all of a sudden some random dude, double fist and Coors lights goes, Hey, Brooksy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just laughing. Cause I, I don't know what else to do. I'm just standing here. I got nothing else to do. So I'll laugh. You're not going to go yell at the guy, but until the fans kind of take it upon themselves. And secondly, there is nothing in the terms and conditions of having a PGA tour ticket that says you can't make noise. I mean, can you like, how do you differentiate between like, well, you're allowed to cheer and you can make some positive reinforcement, but if you have some negative reinforcement, then, then we're going to escort you from the golf course and have you arrested. Like what? No. Like what if a guy says, no, I yelled Bryson, not Brooksy. And you heard me wrong and you're going to kick me out. All of a sudden there's like a lawsuit or something. You can't, you can't police this. Yeah. It's pretty impossible to regulate. I think, like I said, it eventually will die out. And hopefully it's sooner rather than later because I just think it's kind of tired. It's not me coming to Bryson's defense or anything. It's just kind of like, all right, I think you're going to heckle it. Maybe you could do a little better than that. Maybe be a little more creative, have a little more fun with it. I don't know. It's just kind of lame and, you know, I don't know. I I think it'll die out sooner rather than later. And I think that the fact that, you know, um, there's a story that surfaced that Brooks had talked to Captain Steve Stricker and they've kind of, he's agreed to kind of put it, put it on ice for a while. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a permanent thing and he's just kind of over it at this point. The one thing, by the way, that, you know, anytime we talk about gambling and golf and how fans can influence the sport, the one thing I always hear, and it's a, it's a decent point is that, look, if a fan yells something in a player's backswing as he's hitting an important shot or stroking an important putt, that could influence the overall result. And, Yesterday would have been sort of the perfect storm, the the dynamic of Bryson and this playoff and it's quiet and there are a million fans and all of a sudden somebody yells something as he's hitting a shot or hit a putt at the very wrong moment. That would have been it right there. And I just bet can't lay plus 110 from my phone or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it, it doesn't take much. So hopefully and, you know, I, I guess the way to police all this is tell the fans to yell at the top of their lungs all the time. And then all the noise just drowns itself out and you don't have to worry about it. It's like uh, 16 in Phoenix where the players, you know, kind of raise their arms and go, come on, make some noise. 
And if everyone's making noise, then not one person yelling out in your backswing is going to bother you. So, right. Uh, all right. Those have been the five questions, five very long questions talking about this weekend, but it was worth wrapping up after a great BMW championship. And now we move on to this week's tour championship to conclude the FedEx cup, the 50th event of the super season. <sighs> Finally got there. Um, all right. Before we get into the odds and, who we like this week. Let's uh, let's talk about the format a little bit. Year three of the staggered scoring start. Um, you are Mr. Statman, Jay Ray. So from a statistical standpoint, how do we analyze this? And, and what do we think of uh, the idea to have them staggered on a leaderboard before they even hit a shot? So the early returns through two years are a perfect balance, really. I think if you're the PGA Tour, uh, Rory McIlroy was five shots back to begin the week two years ago, and he won. And the next year, Dustin Johnson ran away with it. He, he was the outright leader going in at 10 under par, and he won. So you've seen two different instances of it. Um, you know, look, they wanted to declutter what that final tournament was, where, you know, uh, your friend and mine, Steve Sands, going and, and getting on the Steve Koryaki big board or whatever they had there in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, in the clubhouse at Eastlake, and he's – plotting out different scenarios. Now, if he makes this putt and that, you know, like <laughs> mapping out all those things that you just wanted to kind of limit that. All right. Okay. You know, guys don't like that. We'll do a staggered start. If so there like, was ever a job for you, by the way, it has been now eliminated now. Maybe, maybe that's a good reason for me to bring it, just tell him to bring it back. <laughs> Get this. You would have been Mr. Baby. Whiteboard. Let's Get go. Sands out of there. Come on. I Sands mean, has I'll, enough I'll, stuff to do. I'll, I'll run the, yeah, I'll run the whole board. Let's do it. Um, you know, look, people were, they, they groused about that for what 13 years the the point system and then they switched to this and everyone was like what's this this doesn't make any sense and they groused about that so i don't know you're not gonna please i, I guess every everyone's gonna it's not perfect regardless of of what side of the fence you're on the the point system was i mean most people didn't really understand what was going on they just trusted that okay with this putt he wins the fedex cup mm-hmm. i remember when Coming down the stretch at one point in 2018, 2018 obviously was when Tiger won at Eastlake. And we all remember, we all remember Tiger's win and it being dramatic and everything. There was a point where he was projected to win the FedEx Cup coming down the stretch, but he won the tournament and yet still did not win the Fed. Like it, it all just seemed, it was like the perfect ending to it. I thought, I thought you were going to tell the story of, and it might have been a few years earlier, maybe 2014, 2015. There was a year where, Paul Casey hadn't won a PGA Tour event. He was projected to finish second. He was in second place on the leaderboard. He could have finished second at the Tour Championship, still not have won a PGA Tour event all year, but he was projected first in the FedEx Cup. That would have been your blow-it-up moment. I mean, that would have just been the the absolute worst scenario possible for the PGA Tour. So I'll say this system eliminates that. Like, you you don't have that happen because Mm -hmm. you've got this pre- you know, structure built into the tournament and it's easier for folks to follow. Nothing's perfect. Right. Um, but I think that this, it's a pretty accurate reflection of the, uh, the probabilities players had in the first place where technically, yes, all 30 of these guys can win, but based on what they've done, the previous events in the playoffs and in the regular season, half the field has a more realistic shot at the guys who were nine and 10 shots back. So Long-winded way of saying it's not perfect, but I think I like it a little bit more than the old version, unless uh, we can get that TV gig going, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, I, I tend to agree with you, first of all. 
Uh, the reason it's not perfect for everyone, and I know a lot of fans out there are like, I don't like this. They should, they should like do a match play elimination, get down to this guy, then this guy plays this guy for 15 million. And it's a winner take all. And then they take money out of their own pocket and they play with, uh, with old hickory shafts and they do like fans want everything. Like what if they did this? What if they did that? I, I get look, Hey, that would be fun for you. A lot of balls on the 10th hole. Yeah. I, th- this whole thing is not about you is basically what I try to e- explain to the fans. This is if, if we're boarding the plane here, uh, the first class passengers are the, uh, are the title sponsors. Then we uh, start filling in with the, uh, the, the higher economy seats with the TV rights holders. And then after that, the players start filling in their spots. And then uh, we're back by the lavatory in the, the back of the plane. We're in group eight. So yeah. the, the golf fans themselves, <laughs> not the priority here. Um, uh, sorry to say, I know a lot of fans out there will say, I, I spend my hard-earned money buying tickets and I pay attention to the PGA Tour and I buy this product from the Tour. That's great. And I'm sure they love it. Uh, FedEx is spending more than you are. They, they just are. They're spending $50 million on this thing to put it out. They don't want Tiger and Phil standing next to each other with two different trophies at the end of it. Uh, and, which has and happened. they've gotten their way, which has <laughs> happened. And they've gotten their way. Okay. Let's take a look at the odds. And of course there are two different odds boards. Be very careful what you're betting on, know what you're doing this week. But uh, the first one is the winner uh, with the staggered strokes. And I, Jay Ray, I thought I was going to get a little bargain this week. I thought I was going to get my guy with a little bigger number, but ain't going to happen. John Rahm, who I like a lot this week for everything. Uh, give me John Rahm with the staggered strokes. Give me John Rahm starting even with everybody else. Give me John Rahm everywhere. Uh, I really like John Rahm. He is plus 350. Patrick Cantley, who, of course, is going in with a two-shot lead over everybody else. He's at uh, plus 400, followed by Bryson, plus 550. Finau plus 700, JT plus 1400, Jordan plus 1800. I mean, it's essentially kind of falling in line with where they're starting. Uh, All right, let's let's first talk about uh, just based on this staggered scoring, based on the bonus points that they have, bonus strokes, I guess, that they have under par. Um, Where are you going with your favorite play this week and who do you like? Uh, I'm kind of with you with with John Rahm and really liking him everywhere. I mean, there's a reason. Over the last 24 rounds, he's played worldwide. He's made birdie or better more than 30% of the time. His only finish outside the top 10 since the PGA Championship was when he led by six and had to withdraw with COVID. I mean, Mm -hmm. like he's been out of his mind for the last several months. Kind of fell off on the weekend at Caves Valley. But, I mean, look, it took the best putting performance ever and a a driving performance we haven't seen in a couple years from Bryson to kind of put him uh, at bay. I will say that, you know, across the board – I'm looking at two key factors this week, performance off the tee and momentum. I mean, playoff, the playoffs have proven over the years, guys can get hot. It carries over week to week. They're basically playing three, four consecutive weeks um, of golf nonstop. There's nobody who's going to take breaks in there. I think momentum is a big thing. It's kind of a intangible, you know, as the numbers guy, it's not really a perfect statistical thing to, to try to quantify, but I think it exists and is real in the playoffs. But from a numbers perspective, performance off the tee is extremely significant at Eastlake. Three of the last five winners here led the field and strokes gained off the tee. Meanwhile, none of the last five winners were in the top five that week in strokes gained approach. Dustin Johnson was 11th last year in strokes gained approach, one with the staggered point system. Since 2010, winners at Eastlake have averaged more strokes off the tee per round than approach. That is almost com- 
that almost never happens on the PGA tour. Mm. So there's a reason why guys like Rory McIlroy and Xander Shoffley have been really successful over the years. Xander is another guy at plus 2,500 to win looking at it on DraftKings right now. He's been awesome on this golf course over the years. I know he's starting pretty far back and there's a question there in terms of after winning the gold medal and, you know, after playing so many weeks in a row into the season, is, is he completely focused or is he more thinking about the Ryder cup coming up? But his success at East Lake, he putted unbelievably the last few years there. He's the leader in scoring average on this golf course uh, over the last decade. Um, I like Xander, even though of the, the fatigue kind of factor I mentioned. Um, and then Roy McIlroy has an awesome, you know, has been fantastic on this golf course in his career. Only one player gained more strokes off the tee than Rory last week, and that was Bryson DeChambeau. Mm-hmm. Rory was near was in the top ten in strokes gained putting at Caves Valley. We talked; they, they talked a lot on the broadcast about Sergio Garcia rounding into form for the Ryder Cup Sunday night. We might be talking about Rory McIlroy really rounding into form for the Ryder Cup. I don't know if he can win because he's starting so far back, but I do like him to have a good week. So that's where I'm okay. kind of looking at right away. Yeah, I, I like Rory for for the reason that you said right there. Uh, couple other names I like. JT mentioned he's at 14 one. He's he started the week in a share of sixth place. He's six shots back. That's that's not impossible. If you've learned anything over the last couple of months, it's that, hey, a guy's a couple shots back going into a Sunday. That means absolutely nothing. So being six shots back going into a Thursday, that means even less than nothing. JT is a guy that I've been on a lot this summer just because I, I think that um, he's been frustrated. I think he's trying to find something. I think he plays better mad golf than most other players. There's some players who get pissed at themselves, uh, are mad and just collapse into themselves because they can't handle what they're, they're trying to deal with. JT seems to get mad and go out and play better golf. How, by the way, I will throw this out there. And I, I don't like talking about player of the year all that much. Cause quite frankly, by the time they announce player of the year, We've forgotten about the year and we're on to the next year already. So it just doesn't matter a whole lot. The other part, and I've t- I was talking to a PGA Tour player the other day, and I said, hey, who are you going to vote for, player of the year? And I was told John Rahm. I said, you, you understand, John Rahm's only got one win. And they said, yeah, but he's the best player. I said, well, th- yeah, but that's not how it works. And they said, you know, well, I got to vote and you don't. So um, that's kind of <laughs> how that works is they're going to vote for whoever the hell they want as much as you and I can break down uh, stats and analysis and this and that, uh, they're just going to vote for someone. They also have a lot of recency bias when it comes to this stuff. They're not going to remember that Bryson DeChambeau won the U.S. Open in the second event of the 50-event season. And so uh, JT could go from really frustrating summer to, you know what? He won twice. One of them was the Tour Championship that led to also the FedEx Cup. The other was the Players' Championship. He could be our Player of the Year after going through a really, really tough spell for a few months this year. Just That's throwing the it out two-step right there. Players' yeah, Championship yeah. and the FedEx Cup. I mean, you might get Jay Monahan's blazer. You don't get a green jacket, <laughs> but you get Monahan's blue blazer if you do that. Uh, I will say, when names. you talk about JT, it, I know we say, oh, he's six yeah. back during the week. There's five. There's only five guys in front of him. Right. I think that is something that's really important over the course of 72 holes, where he's just got to beat five guys by X number of shots during that span, right, in terms of mm-hmm. – you know, who he's starting out behind. So I think that's an important thing to think of here is not, don't be scared, too scared away by how many shots back a guy is when you're five, six off. Also important. And, you know, I, I think you can look at that points list and say, well, JT is six. So he's pretty close. Sam Burns, another guy like he's in 10th. Okay. He's a little bit further back. They're starting at the same number. Right. So it doesn't really matter. They're, they're tied for sixth place. It doesn't really matter if JT had this many more points than Sam Burns coming into this week. Uh, they're essentially, 
uh, at the exact same number. So I like Burns and I like Sungjae Im as guys that could make a little run this week. But yeah, John Rahm's my guy. And I go back to a Q&A that I had with him during his interview session with the media uh, after the second round of the Northern Trust a couple of weeks ago when you know we're kind of talking about him you know, potentially winning that week. And he kind of gave me a whole, you know what? Uh, yeah, it'd be great to win this week, but really it doesn't really matter for a couple of weeks. I'm just trying to put myself into position so I can win the Tour Championship and win the FedEx Cup. That's what this thing is all about. And I, I think it's a different mindset than most other players have had. I think most, most players have had that mindset of, hey, I'm going to play my best every day, and hopefully it's good enough to win a golf tournament here and there. And if that's good enough, then maybe I'll win the FedEx Cup. And I think John Rahm has really sort of plotted out, hey, I'm going to play pretty well the first week and pretty well the second week. Not that he would have taken a win if it came to him, but I think it's all geared towards, all right, the third week is when I go pounce. And remember, he missed more than a month of competition uh, before the FedEx Cup, and he's going to be in much better shape physically and mentally going into this one than a lot of other players. You've been preaching this for weeks now. I have. Before the playoffs started, that this is where it's going to pay off. This, this sporadic kind of rest he's had in comparison to some of his peers, this is where it pays off right here in the end. And who knows? It could be, I, no one's going to be – obviously, he's the betting favorite, so no one's going to be surprised if he walks away with the win. All right, very quickly before we get to our DFS lineup, winner without starting strokes – John Rahm, 6-1, to one. Xander at 11, Rory at 12, DJ at 12, JT 14, Bryson 16, Jordan 16, Brooks Cantley, Louie, who keeps getting a low number for some reason. It's a little too short for Louie. Tony Finau, Scotty Scheffler, all 20-1. to one. Uh, Is there another name that you haven't mentioned that sticks out to you just for, uh, for low man total strokes? Yeah, I'll go with a guy who is sneaky elite off the tee, is going to be on that European Ryder Cup team. We haven't talked a lot about him the last few months. Victor Hovland, I think at plus 2,800 to have the best score over 72 holes at Eastlake. I talked about how significant performance off the tee is. I thought this was very interesting. There's going to be a lot of narrative about at the Ryder Cup where, okay, this is a bomber's golf course. It benefits players off the tee. The U.S. is going to have this big inherent advantage because of course setup. Top five players this season in strokes gained off the tee on the PGA Tour. Bryson's first. The next four guys are all probably going to be on the European Ryder Cup team. Ooh. Rom, Sergio, Rory, and Victor Hovland. I thought that was pretty surprising. Yeah. So, Hovland, really good off the tee. I like that number for him to have a good week. And then the guy who can take, he's led more rounds than anybody on the PGA Tour this season. Sam Burns at plus 3,500, also a guy who can move it off the tee. And he putts really well in this part of the country. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a big week. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it's interesting. Those four guys probably playing five matches each. I, I would think if you're Padraig Harrington right now, you're looking at it's uh, at, at Sergio and Hovland and Rom and Rory and saying, hey, you guys are kind of my anchors. I, I yeah. need you guys going out there and playing a lot of golf. But uh, again, you're you're probably telling Padraig that. So why do I have to tell you that? I don't know. It's just, you know, we're no all helping it. each other out at this point. <laughs> um, I, I'm also looking at strokes gained off the tee. And uh, Kepka is a name that Pops up as well, uh, since you mentioned strokes getting off the tee. He's, he's at seventh. Corey Connors at eighth. Um, you know, maybe maybe a nice little uh, a play on those guys. Uh, what did I say Kepka was? Kepka is 20 to one this week for uh, just total strokes. And Connors at 40 to one. Why not? Uh, maybe a Corey Connors kind of week. But it is, it is probably a bigger name. You mentioned Sungjae, and I think it would, it would fit for him too. This could be, like, you could see a guy like Corey Connors really valuing this, right? He's from Canada. He's not thinking about the Ryder Cup, obviously. 
He you know hasn't won a major championship. This is one of the biggest events of his career so far. I mean, he's contended in a major or two here and there, but you could see like more so than like let's say Colin Morikawa, who's won two majors and he's looking to other things. This is a big moment on Corey Connors' schedule, so you could maybe see him taking advantage of that, really locked in and having a good week. I don't know, just a theory. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him, and you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of, because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Okay. I, I like absolutely nothing about playing DFS this week, and I probably won't do a whole lot of it. I, I don't know. You got any kind of strategies to, to do here? I, what are you supposed There's only 30 guys. You're picking six of them. You're going to have, uh, what, 20% of the field in your lineup. I, you want to differentiate, but you don't want to differentiate so I'm much high. that you're just picking six guys you don't like. I, I don't know. If you're in one of the big games, it's almost a mathematical certainty that someone else is going to have the exact same lineup as you. Yeah, There's almost no way to get around it. I still think you can have some fun with it. Um, you can find crazy value, obviously, because there's only 30 players in the field. Cantlay is 13-4. I mean, that's an enormous number in terms of DraftKings salaries. You can get to the bottom, and Eric Van Royen is $5,000. So that's the kind of enormous disparity you have. So it's a little bit of a funky week, and maybe some of the traditional strategies might not work for DFS. But, yeah, it's not, it's not I, the no-cut events. Me and you have talked about this. They're not my favorite for Daily Fantasy. I love the – the, one of my favorite parts about daily fantasy is getting trying to see if you can go six for six, making the cut, right. and then it gets really interesting on the weekend. So, um, but no, I mean, you know, we 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 turned a profit with our team last week. I put it in, and we made a little mm-hmm. money. So let's see if we can do the same here at East Lake. All right, go ahead, make a pick. Okay, I'm going to start out uh, with a guy who I think one is an amazing value, young player, moves it off the tee, has exceptional putting numbers in this part of the country in his young career. Sam Burns at 8,500 is my first pick. Excellent. I am all aboard the Burns bandwagon as well this week. I, I could see this being like a second or third place overall finish on the FedEx Cup by the time this thing is over. Okay, I, I've been preaching John Rahm, as you mentioned, for weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I promise I'll save some money. I have to later on, but he's 13,000, and I just I, he's going to win this thing. Uh, John Rahm's going to win. I'm taking him. Got to have him. I, I don't blame you at all. Um, so that leaves us with 28.5 for the rest of our roster. I'm going to dip down a little bit and save us a little bit of money. Look, I just said that maybe I could see Corey Connors on a course for driving has been really valuable and he has good driving numbers. He could be super motivated this week, a big event on his schedule. And because you took a guy who's 13,000, I'm going to need to get down that low. So Corey Connors, 6,200 is my next pick. All right. Uh, I will go with uh, another guy that I mentioned already. He's- He's below what we need for the average remaining player. So it's still uh, still leaving us something, I think. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, Sung J.M. Uh, played really well last week. A couple of putts didn't go in towards the end. Would have been a really good finish. But uh, Sung J, I think, is trending in the right direction. I think there's a nice course for him. I, I think it's kind of set up for him to make a little bit of a run. I could see him finishing third, fourth, fifth this week as well. I'll go with another guy who had a great week last week. I mentioned earlier in the podcast – First time in his PGA Tour career, he finished 20 under par, which I thought was unbelievable. Sergio Garcia is 5,400. He's third on the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee. I talked about how valuable that is this week at Eastlake. Had a great week last week, as I mentioned, and that leaves us with 9,600 for our final pick. I don't know how we did that, but we picked the guy with 13 for 13,000, and we still have 9,600 for the last pick. Okay. So here's where I think the strategy comes into play. Abraham Answer is sitting there at 9,600. He's played really well. 
uh, coming off a win just last month. But I like it. I don't love it. Rory McIlroy, you talked all about Rory McIlroy being good. And quite honestly, I mean, if all things put together, this was like a, a head-to-head kind of play. If this is a cash game play. I'm probably going Rory. Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley has never shot an over par round at Eastlake. He's played it 16 times, 14 under par rounds, two even par rounds, scoring average of 67.38, a cumulative 49 under par. That's pretty Look good. Look at I you thought. firing off numbers. Yeah. My I learned it by watching you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Harris English, he's been great. Colin Morikow, uh, he's still, I think, banged up. You mentioned Victor Hovland. I, I'm going to save 1600 in this lineup. I, I don't know how else to win in a big GPP contest this week. I, I Like I said, I, I hate everything about DraftKings this week and trying to put in a lineup, but we do it every week. So I'm going to save 1600 We're going to go Burns, Connors, Garcia, Hovland, M, Rom, And I don't know, maybe just kind of hit the right combination by leaving a lot of money on the table and not doubling up with at least too many other people, even though we just did this on a very, very popular podcast and we're going to be duped a million times. Clearly, clearly. This is the blueprint <laughs> for a million dollars. Definitely. We can no, split- yeah. No, look, like I said, it's almost mathematically impossible, but this is one way where if you don't spend all the money, you've got a better chance of coming up with a unique lineup. So and split a million dollars, 10,000 different ways with all of our listeners and I'll be kind of happy. That's still for sure. I can't do the math on that, but that still seems like it would be decent money. It's all right. It's not bad. It's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, better than what we made last week. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. The next week is always the better week. All right. That's it. We've talked too much for too long. He's Justin Ray from the 21st group. I'm Jason Silva from Golf Bet. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Links and Locks podcast. Download, subscribe, rate if you haven't already. We appreciate it. And also catch us on the gimme 8.30 p.m. Eastern time this week with our friend Amanda Rose. Good luck with all of your bets for this week's Tour Championship. Here's hoping you hit the green.